Today's reading is from Exodus 17, 8 through 13. The Amalekites defeated. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow, tomorrow I will stand on top of a hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands would remain steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. And hello to those online and those that will watch this later. A special shout out to you as well. Well, we are beginning a new sermon series. Yay! Now, uh, this was a little kind of a crazy week for your pastor, so I didn't get a chance to start the new sermon series slide. So next week you get to be surprised by a new sermon series slide, but you can ooh and ah over this wonderful sermon series slide that we'll have in the background starting next week. So as we're here, uh, we do I want to uh, just take a moment to think about that. We also just, uh, as we get started, this new sermon series is a special sermon series. I wanted to take some time to think about battles and heroes. You know, as we think about scripture, uh, there are story after story after story of battles and heroes that go on in it. And in fact, if you think about it, it's, it we don't think about it often because of the power of Jesus Christ in our lives and we're going to be where we are now. But most of the Bible was written in a time of war. And in fact, one of the, the things that's unique about the New Testament is that it actually is a world power at the time of Rome has truly conquered everything and has just smothered everything. And so there's a sense of peace in that era. But really, almost the whole rest of the Bible, except for exactly when the Assyrians are there, or the Persians or whoever have conquered, but most of it is written in times of war. And so I thought we'd take a, a, the next few weeks and just look at some of these stories in the Bible to look at some battles and heroes and to think about maybe what some of these stories could teach us here today. And it is unique because, you know, so many times as we think about following Christ, you know, in our context, it, we do experience a tremendous amount of peace when you think about the history of humanity and what most humanity had to go through. But it is worthy of stopping for a moment to think the Bible, and the story of God was told even amongst really a war zone. That people were fighting people and conquering people and all these different things that were going on for much of human history. As we do come here today, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, there were times of war. And this really started off, you know, even pre the story that we got to here today. But... But the first battle that the Israelites had to face was right after leaving Egypt. 
And, and in fact, if you think about the story of, you know, creation, and then that goes on, you know, the stories like the flood, where God looked at all the violence and the, and the evil of the world, and he tried to blot that out and restart anew, and that didn't fix it, because there were still mighty warriors that rose up, and nation against nation, and tribe against tribe, and you get the story of, of, you know, Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and you keep going on to Joseph, and everybody else leaving and going to Egypt, and then becoming enslaved in Egypt, and then Moses, of course, has risen up, uh, by the Lord, by the hand of the Lord, rises up and sets the people free. And of course, you remember the stories of Moses and his staff and the sea and how he parts it. And my, my kids can tell you because they've been going to church lately. They've been learning all about it. About, and you can ask them about it. They'll tell us about Moses. They'll say, well, he lifted the staff and he put it in the water and the water spilled in the side and it was a wall of water. And they'll go, they'll go on to it, and these great stories. And what's interesting about that is when you get directly after the Red Sea, Pretty much they're running around, they're doing things, they're running around the desert, and of course they start complaining, and there's all these stories about them complaining, and then all of a sudden they start getting attacked. Like not figuratively, literally being attacked. And the first group that comes and actually attacks them, you know, after the Egyptians tried and God said, no, 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 we ain't doing with that, and you know, the whole seed comes in and comes upon them. But when it, the first group of people that come and attack the Israelites are a group called the Amalekites. And we don't know much about the Amalekites. And in fact, this is one of the interesting people of the Bible because uh, they seem to be these nomadic people that went around and were migratory in some sense. But they also are not talked about outside of the Bible really at all. And in fact, there's some people group that seem almost like this shade in history that you just don't know much about. They were in this area. We know they existed and all these different things. But the Bible talks about how they came and attacked the Israelites. And in fact, when you read, and, and they're, they're kind of so slippery in history that you almost think of them, like I, the way I think of them is like desert pirates. <laughs> I know it sounds funny, but like it, it's almost kind of the best way I can describe kind of their, their motto. They were like the Vikings in the day of the Israelites in Egypt. They had this great territory, and they would go and fight wars and plunder and do these different things, and really no one knew much about where they were, where they were stationed, how they moved about, and did these different things. But they come, and they face the Amalekites, and you got to think from a pirate point of view, you're seeing all these downtrodden, hungry, thirsty, quarreling people, not very well armed, and they go, ooh, easy pickings, right? And they go, this is going to be a good day for us, right? And if you remember, the Israelites, of course, plundered Egypt when they left, and so they might have even seen, like, you know, some of the treasury and stuff like that that the Israelites were able to bring from Egypt, including the animals and things like that, that they were able to bring. And so this was one of those deals where, you know, big eyes, you know, the Amalekites are thinking, Woohoo! We hit it big. This is their Thanksgiving dinner for us. This is a great day. And so they come and they descend upon the Israelites. Now, these stories we struggle with a little bit. And part of the reason why we struggle with these, of course, is because we don't live in the times of the people. And in fact, we live in a much different time, right, where we, most of us have experienced a lot of peace in our lives unless we, uh, of course, have served in military overseas or have family that have served you know, we experience here on, on this side of America a whole lot of peace, even with all the riots and stuff that have gone on in our time. Relatively, most of you don't think your home's getting burned down tomorrow, right? And worry about that. We, we kind of expect it to keep on going, right? And so it's interesting when we go back and read these because we also live past Jesus Christ, right? And so as you look at the Bible, you know, God has been ex like building up to the fullness of revelation in Jesus Christ. But Jesus hasn't come yet. People don't know what God really wants them to do yet. People haven't fully, the, the setting for Jesus Christ hasn't been set for him to come and actually for us to fully see 
what God is up to. And so there's this in-between time where there's basically a choice of evils, right? And, and the evil is, is basically this. Is, you know, as you read Jesus' teachings, it's pretty clear that Jesus wants us to love even our enemies and do these different things. But that didn't exist back then. If you brought your little, you know, if you made a, a chicken pot pie or whatever you'd make to go to your, give to your enemy as a peace offering, it didn't work, right? All they did was say, oh, okay, great, pack you, take your stuff, and go on with life. It was a tribalistic time. It was a time of war. It was a time of the sword. And so it's, it's really telling, the scripture even says that it was the fullness of time when Jesus finally came to really teach us about what the kingdom is supposed to be. But this is a point in history where it's killed or be killed. And in fact, one of the things that kind of really unnerves us when if you, have, you know, grew up in the church and maybe you were told a bunch of stories of Jesus, you've even read the Gospels, and you go back some time and you try to read through the Old Testament, you'll be struck by God saying, hey, Israelites, go in and fight them. Oh, and by the way, wipe them out, right? And you go, this is Jesus, right? And in, in fact, that's a really hard thing at first to say, you know, this is God on one hand and Jesus on the other hand. And, and is this, this almost feels like not what Jesus would say. You know, Jesus is saying, go and love your enemies. But in fact... This is the time of the sword, and it's kill or be killed. And in fact, in God, in those moments when there's a choice of two evils, he's going to choose the one that brings about the most good in the world and the one that ultimately leads to Jesus Christ and the salvation that can be offered. And so God says to them, you know, when these tribes come and you feast these people and they fight up against you, you fight. He says, you fight. And in fact, in some ways, they are the aggressors even. They're supposed to go into the land of Canaan, as we see later after these stories that we're reading here today, Go in and fight them. Like, don't even, you're not even defensive. You're going in and starting the fight against them. And, of course, one of the things we lose track of is that story of Noah and the flood, of how God looked at the earth and he just regretted forming mankind because he saw all the evil that was there. If you think about that story and what it says, it's powerful to say God looked at it and said, i got to restart this thing. And God tried to restart the thing, and, of course, he was grieved when that happened because he loved people so much. And he looked back and he said, you know what, I'm not going to do this again. And so then now he's left with this force of evil in the world, true evil, true violence, true things going on, yet trying to raise up a people to bring light to the earth to represent what he's trying to do and build back the kingdom and bring us back to Eden, so to speak, through the work of Jesus Christ. And so as you look at these stories, you know, it's one of those wrestlings that you always have to have because you think, you know, it'd be really dangerous to apply God saying, go smite these people in today's context, right? Because we've been fully revealed in Jesus Christ. That's not really what God wants us to do. God's not going to say, pick up your arms, go smite these people and wipe them out, right? That's, that's not what's going to happen. But at the same time, we have to take seriously the fact that this is the time of the sword. And it is kill or be killed. And God is raising up his people to bring light to all nations and all peoples. And there's sort of a, a a, a worst-case scenario where you have to choose lesser of uh, two evils to make this happen. But in this specific story, of course, the Amalekites come and actually attack. And so they're on the defensive, right? And, and Israelites, you know, God could smite them and do whatever, but God says, nope, I'm going to use this as a preparation for your battle. And so Moses sees the Amalekites coming down and oppressing upon them. And it says in this story, and this is kind of the first mentions of Joshua, it says, you know, he got Joshua, and he, he sent him out, you know, to fight this battle. And when he did this, uh, Moses then came and went up on basically the top of a hill. And it says he had the staff of God in his hands, that same one that he, you know, he struck the Nile and it became blood, that same one that he threw down and became a serpent, that same one that he hit the Red Sea and it parted. Moses, it says he has these in his hands, and it says that he raised them up, 
And it was like the very presence of God fighting the battle for them. And just like God had smote the Egyptians, it was one of these deals where the Israelites, as they were fighting, well underarmed, well, you know, they've been grieving, they've been, they've been, uh, they've been thirsty. You know, the story right before this is the, all the Israelites coming together and basically complaining and complaining, we're thirsty, we're thirsty, we're thirsty. And Moses goes, bam, and on a rock and the water comes out. And he goes, fine, you grievous people, stop bothering me, right? And, and so you get the story of this going on. And so you can think about these people that are weary, they're disheartened, they're not even unified in this, like up to this point, they're starting to fracture. These Amalekites then come upon them and they got to fight for their lives and their families' lives, and they have to defend themselves. And as you think about this story, it's so unique because this is the first time God says, I'm preparing you for what's coming. And yeah, God could have done just like the Egyptians. He could have just smote the you know, Malachites off. He could have just sent burning hail down or opened up a fissure and smote them, but he didn't. He says, you know what? You're going to have to fight this, but you're not alone. And so Moses, you know, he goes up on that hill, as it says, and he has the staff in his hands. He's holding up his hands to, like, blessing and to basically have that staff as God's fighting this battle, even though we're fighting the battle, too. You know, the, but God is actually the one that's doing the fighting, if you will, and, and working through what we're doing, and our hope is in him. And it says that the battle kept raging on, and so as time goes on, if you ever tried to hold your hands up for a while, and I'm already getting tired. I haven't even done it for, what, 20 seconds, <laughs> right? But if you try to hold your hands up for a while, right, it starts getting heavy. And if you can imagine that staff, I don't know if it was, you know, balsa wood or what, but it was not probably the lightest thing in the world. And he's holding up that staff, and he's holding it, and he's holding it, and it's battle still going. And it's one of these things where, oh, and he get tired, and he's got to put his hands down. It's like the presence of God isn't there, and they're fighting the battle alone on their own strength. And when that happens, they get, they're just getting smushed, right? And, and so Moses kind of, you know, he takes that break. He's starting to put his hands up, right? And every time he puts it up, all of a sudden, it's like they're just people are imbued with power, and they're, they're fighting, and they're winning the fight. And it says that there were two men, right? And the two men that come up to him, to Moses, are Aaron, his brother, and Hur. And Hur come up, and they set a stone behind Moses, so he has kind of something to sit on. And it says they both took both arms, right? One had one side, one had the other and they helped lift up those arms for the whole remainder of the battle. And the battle was won, right? And Joshua and the Israelites had that first test, if you will, of saying, hey, you know, you have to go into Canaan, you're going to have to fight these peoples. And these peoples are war-ready. They live in fighting all the time. <laughs> they fight each other, their walls are fortified, and I'm going to call you to go in and to take this land so that I can set up this kingdom and he started preparing them. And he said, this is the first thing. It's defensive. You didn't start this fight. You're outgunned. You're outmatched. But you're going to learn. And so God started preparing his people to be warriors in these moments to go in and to prepare to go into Canaan. But it's so interesting as you think about this story and what we can learn from it and take from it. So again, it's really hard to take, you know, as we live on the other side of the teachings of Jesus Christ to think, okay, we're supposed to go smite people, right? If you took that away, you weren't listening. That's not what the point is, what we can learn from it. But there is a point that to learn. And what I find so amazing about this, and while there's many things to point out, what I love about this story is it comes right after the story I alluded to a minute ago, the story of the rock and the water, where the Israelites have been coming over, and they're starting to yearn back, and they go, oh, Egypt was so great. We had food. And, like, they're slaves, and the food they described is not the food of the slaves. Like, they're just, their memory is off. Like, they're remembering 
as if Egypt was this great place. And it reminds us in scripture when we start that story, they groaned and pleaded for God to come and save them, right? This was not where you want to be, but they're in the moment. They're not thinking clearly. They're, they're griping, they're complaining, and they start fracturing with each other. And again, Moses gets fed up with them. And as the story I told you, remember, he takes that staff and he hits that rock. Water flows out from it, and the people stop complaining for that moment. But of course, they come back to complaining a little bit later, right? And they keep coming back to that. But you get the story of the people, you know, basically fractured and disunited, and things aren't going so hot. And then you get the story on the flip side, where all of a sudden, they have to come together. Because it's not just, oh, I'm thirsty, I want some water. It's, we're about to die. We are about to die. And we got to work together. And so Joshua leads the people. Moses gets on the hill. The, the, you know, uh, both Aaron and her come alongside. And as you get this great story of the people coming together in unity of purpose to bring about the winning of the battle. I think those stories, when, you know, they wrote this down, they could have written, you know, other things, but I'm sure that happened. But I love the fact that when this was written down in Scripture, they wanted to make sure these were written back to back and nothing else, you know, if anything else happened in the middle, they took it out. They just said, no, we want these back to back. The story of the people fractured, kind of wandering around in the wilderness, if you will, and the story of people coming together, unity of purpose and unity of clear purpose, in this case, survival, which is one of those base needs, right? And they came together with purpose, worked together, and the battle and the day was won. The reason why I tell you this is because, you know what, in our world, it's really, really easy to be on that first story. And in fact, if one thing social media does, there's a lot of good it does, but if probably one thing you could categorize social media, it is your place to go and complain and rant and rave, isn't it, right? And of course, you face this so many times where just the smallest thing will just start an argument with people, right? Or just the way we're fractured in so many different ways uh, in our world and how easy it is to become part of that. And then there's this story of basic survival right after that where God says, nope, I'm going to use this time of stress, this time of, you know, this emergency, if you will, and I'm going to use it to create in you warrior spirits. And because they were unified, they won the day, and God's work did that because of the power of the staff that was held up and that God's proud presence was smiting them even though he was using common, ordinary people of the Israelites to do that. And God said, I'm going to prepare you. I'm going to use this event in your life to make you ready for what the days are come. And the people didn't even understand that or know that at the time. They just thought they were fighting for their survival. And they did that, and they came together because the mission was important enough, right? Now, this church has been a great church, an amazing church, but I want to give it a warning, right? And so this is not, I'm sort of preaching to the choir. This is sort of the, the you're the choir, if you will, not just you, the choir, but you're all the choir today, right? But this, is, this is a fantastic church, but one of the things you always have to guard about is you can live in that first story instead of the second, right? And in fact, you have been a great church, and since I've been here these three years, you all have lived in that second story time and time and time again, and I'm so proud of you, so proud of you. But I always have to say that with just always an air of warning, because the first story is always knocking at the door saying, live in me, right? Where it'd be really easy always to just say, you know what, I'm kind of thirsty. You know what, I want this. You know what, I want this to happen, and that we would just continue to fracture, that we would continue to focus on things. Some of the stories of churches are hilarious, right, where 
I, I, I've known stories of, of churches that they built a new building and it was going to do all this amazing ministry, right? And everybody was so excited about it. It got funded. It was ready to go, all these different things. And it just went all haywire because everybody started fighting over the color of the carpet, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> doesn't matter. It could be, it could be rainbow fuchsia, whatever. Like it, it's, it's a carpet, right? But the, the building itself was doing amazing ministry. It was going to have all these youth events and all these things and food stuff and all the stuff it was going to do to actually like really change the world. And the church got stuck in the first story because the carpets became the thing to focus on, right? It didn't matter, right? And, you know, there was this side, let's get up our people. We want blue. You know, we want red, right? And so, like, they went back and forth, and it became this bitter war within the church, if you will, and how easily that could happen to even the church that was doing something amazing and how our eyes can get unfocused on something. And take that second example. And the warning I would say with it, there is a second warning, is you can't just be unified for the sake of being unified, right? Like, the people had a purpose, Right? And the, the purpose wasn't just being unified. The purpose was to fulfill what God was telling them to do. So you have to have, you have, to have unification, but you also have to have truth, right? You can't just have everybody doing whatever they want, saying they're unified, just to be unified. You actually have to have, be unified in purpose and in mission. And so as the people, you know, think about this, you just think about churches that do amazing things. And I want to pat you on the back. Our church is doing amazing things. If you just read the newsletters of stuff going on, the people that are being changed, the ministries that we've started these past couple years, even in the midst of COVID, the church is doing amazing things. And the warning that we always have to keep in our back of our minds is we can always be side-railed with the small stuff and fracture, or we can choose to continue to have focus and continue to lead and continue to be focused in mission for the changing of Jesus Christ, of the hearts and minds of our community and the world around us. And so again, I think this story is, there's so many things we can take from it, but if I was to preach it for this church, which I might be doing in this very moment, it would be that warning. Stay in the second story. And when you feel that urge to be pushed back into that first, fix your eyes, change them, and remember, it's about survival, right? For those Israelites, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about survival of the whole human race. The whole human race. We can be unified always together, and let's continue to do that. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for your love and for your purpose in our lives. As we come to your table, Lord, we first of all repent of our sin. And God, as we come to your table, we ask you to bless these elements. Lord, as we come, we remember that on the night in which you gave yourself up for us, you took bread, you broke the bread, you gave it to your disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, you took the cup, gave thanks to the Lord and gave it to your disciples and said, drink from this, all of you, this is the cup of my new covenant poured out for you and for many, the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, in these, your mighty acts, in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would rest and be upon these elements, that they may be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be the body of Christ given for this world. Lord, we praise you and remember this day 
that, God, we are your people called for your purpose. And as we take these elements and we celebrate communion, instill that into us and in our hearts and the depths of our souls now and forever. Amen. As, uh,